Well, good morning. I want to welcome each of you to uh, Monday's session of Deep Dive. Uh, glad that you can be with us. And as we continue on, we are going to be talking today about a really important uh, and, and, I guess, interesting subject matter. There are things that we discovered in Revelation chapter 9 as we continue to see the judgment of God unfold in what the Bible refers to as the day of the Lord. But one of the unique features of Revelation chapter 9 is that uh, while we see uh, evil unleashed upon the world, um, we see that that evil unleashed is done so uh, by and through the authority of God. And uh, we see themes like a key that was given to Satan to open up the abyss that unleashed demonic activity in the world. Well, that key was given to him, a key that was in the possession of Jesus that he has authority uh, and ownership over. And so we're immediately presented and confronted with something that we have long wrestled with uh, as Christians and really throughout all of humanity is how do we reconcile this idea that there is evil and sin in the world, yet God is sovereign and powerful. And, and I want to um, caution us to, to, to the extent that I, I don't intend to like solve what we sometimes call the problem of evil. Uh, but yet I know that um, on some level we all deal with this, right? There are just realities that we're aware of, that there is just evil in the world, that there is sin in the world, that we feel the heaviness and the consequences of those sins. And yet we know that God is powerful and sovereign and 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 he has revealed himself to us. We know this in scriptures and many of us know this just by the way in which we live life. And and so I want to try to, to tackle this, um, but... The thing I want to maybe present to us quickly here is that what we oftentimes call the problem of evil, I think, is a problem much more for us than it is for God. Um, and and part of that is due to the obvious limitations that we have. Certainly understanding things from an eternal perspective, an eternal point of view. Um, certainly an inability to grasp and comprehend a, the totality of plans and the ways in which things work themselves out. We, we see in a limited capacity. In fact, in Romans chapter 11, we are reminded of one of many places where it says, Oh, the depth and the riches of, and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable are his ways, right? Paul is humbly recognizing um, that, that we have to be careful uh, and not be quick to uh, overly presume that we know things more than God does. So I want to present us with a couple of things to think about in this relationship because it does flow out of Revelation chapter 9 as we see Jesus give the keys to Satan. And this, this evil is presented into the world, but how do we reconcile the fact that that is happening under the authority of God? Most of us are familiar with the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And Joseph is a story that is one we've heard many times, right? He is the son of Jacob, and he has many brothers. Some of us are familiar with the play Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Joseph's brothers were jealous for their father's love. They wanted to get rid of Joseph. They attempted to kill Joseph. Uh, but one of the brothers um, spared Joseph's life by basically arguing for another alternative. They eventually sold Joseph secretly into slavery, uh, though they made their father believe he had been killed by an animal. Joseph is sold off into slavery into Egypt where they thought he was done with. He was gone forever. 
While in slavery, he was accused of adultery in Potiphar's home, and he was sentenced to prison and thrown in there. And while in prison, it was, di it was discovered that God had given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams, of which Pharaoh found out. Um, Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, uh, and through the interpretation of those dreams, it led to the successful um, stewardship of Egypt's resources so that they could be spared from uh, the famine that was to come. And as a result of this, the Pharaoh gave Joseph power and authority to the extent that he was like second in command of all of Egypt. Well, when Joseph's family came down uh, to flee from the devastation of the drought up in Israel, uh, Joseph's brothers, his attackers, are before him, and to kind of get to the point in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph sitting there in all of his glory, all of his authority and power, after everything that had happened to him and everything that his brothers put him through, Joseph says in Genesis 50 verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, attempted murder, sold off into slavery, abandoned to the extent of being destroyed. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And we know this very well. And the good was in order to bring about the present result to preserve many people alive. A lot of us know also the great story of Job found in the Old Testament, the book right before Psalms. And Job was a man that was blameless, upright, uh, lived a, an excellent life, uh, refused and, and kept away from evil. He was wealthy in life and love and, and in material possessions. And, and God gave Satan permission to, to challenge, if you will, Job's faith. And as a result, a lot of suffering came upon Job's life. Great suffering and great loss but only to the extent that God would allow. He, he went so far as to say to Satan, you may do this, but you can't do that. Like you can't kill his life. You can't touch him. And in all of this suffering, and part of why it's in the Bible, is that Job is given as a gift to us that we would learn how to live in the fires of life. And we find, for example, in Job chapter 42, verses 2 and 3, Job himself saying, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And even Jesus, friends, right? Even in Jesus, we see great evil towards the one person who was perfectly pure and innocent. Jesus was lied upon. He was beaten up. He was rejected and ridiculed. He was mocked and flogged. He was pierced and speared. The only person who was truly worthy to live life was killed. And it's not just the suffering of the saints like a Joseph or a Job, but it's also the suffering of our Savior that brings to us a measure of perspective around the idea of what we call the problem of evil. You see, God has an appropriate sovereignty. And what that basically means is lordship. We think of like the medieval days with a king who had authority over a kingdom. And so whether it was the, the horse stables or the, the chefs in the kitchen that made his food, he had uh, authority over all matters and affairs of his kingdom. And so God has a, an appropriate lordship over all of creation. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. And so this lordship, this sovereignty, is executed from his providence. 
Now, providence is one way of saying that nothing happens independent of his sustaining power and his governing strength. As Ephesians 4, 6 reads, There is one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so this sovereign, providential God is, is unfolding human history towards a specific goal. And this is what's so exciting to think about. The same sufferings of Joseph and Job that brought about a greater good from God, that the same sufferings of the Savior that also brought about a greater good for God. Peter tells us, for instance, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he says, God, He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. You see, friends, long before the days of creation, before God spoke things into existence like light and the stars in the sky and the creatures of the fields, God had a plan in place that would result in Jesus becoming the suffering Son and the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Before a day of creation was spoken into existence, the, the Lamb that was slain was already in place. Now, None of us have ever been promised by God that our life should be easy or pain-free. And I think sometimes we assume that or we expect that, that if we have a faint knowledge of God or have a robust faith in God, that somehow our life is supposed to be cared for and protected and freed. But if anything, God has promised us the exact opposite of a kind of a pain-free, tranquil life. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul tells us that there will be momentary light afflictions on this side of eternity, but they are preparing us for heavenly glory. Or we find in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, it teaches us that trials in life are producing endurance in us that will lead to a perfect result. Or in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it suggests that trials, even evil, if necessary, produce a faith that is more precious than gold. Now, does any of this help us to sort of find direct, immediate answers to every form of evil? No, not at all. And as I said just a few moments ago as we got started, I'm not uh, attempting to be the first person ever to solve the problem of evil. That's not in, necessarily what I'm trying to do this morning. I realize that for each of us, we could insert in from our own lives, our own measures of pain and challenge and experienced evil, and, and not necessarily find immediate relief to the idea that God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him, Romans 8.28. But this is also why our faith is so important and why it's so precious to us. You see, not only is our faith the one thing that we can truly give back to God when all is said and done, all the things that we've accumulated and done in life, the one thing we can give to God, as 1 Peter 1.7 says, is our faith. Something even as small as a mustard seed. But our faith alone is also the one thing that pleases God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But our faith is also the thing that gives us the capacity to fathom his greatness amidst our limitations. Remember, just like Paul said in Romans chapter 10, 
Oh, the depth and riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unfathomable are his ways. See, it's our faith that allows us to at least comprehend, like in the stories of Joseph and Job and the personal experience of Jesus himself, that there is, in fact, evil. And we can't always comprehend the purposes and reasons for that evil. But God is in control. He is sovereign and providentially working these things out. And he has a specific goal in mind as he is unfolding the layers of history. And we may not always know everything in great detail. But here's the one thing that we do know, friends. And I'll leave us with this. Psalms 86, verse 15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy and truth. What a wonderful thing to remember that... While we continue to live day in and day out and, and continue to have our own natural forms of questions and challenges and our own sense of problem around the idea of evil, we can continue to be confident that God is compassionate and full of love, demonstrated through his Son, that God is gracious, giving to us what we do not deserve, that he is patient with us to the extent that he doesn't want anyone to perish but all to come to repentance. That he is abundant in mercy and that he does not do to us what we do deserve and that he is the full standard and measure of truth. So we can be confident in his revelation, confident in his plans, and confident in his purposes. God bless you, friends. Thanks for joining me this morning for this particular deep dive, one that is challenging to say the least, but also one that is good. I hope that you're encouraged and have a great rest of your week. We'll see you later.